Our uh, text this morning constitutes uh, what is uh, known uh, biblical circles as the third uh, song of the great servant of the Lord. The first was in uh, chapter 42, the second 49, and now we come to uh, the third in chapter 50, uh, verses 4 to 9. Uh, the songs are a progressive, uh, expanding our understanding of uh, the nature of the servant. Uh, what is introduced here uh, will come uh, uh, in a fuller sense in the last servant song, but it is that uh, the servant voluntarily and willingly submits himself to persecution. The first two songs uh, dealt with in a great measure, the mission, uh, but now we learn the difficulty of prosecuting the mission. It's going to be persecuted. Uh, it, it's also clear, I think, in this song, more so than the others, that we are dealing with an individual. Uh, I say that because the Jewish community would hold that the servant songs deal with the nation, uh, but it's very difficult for a nation to have its beard plucked out or it's uh, face slapped. So again, verse 6, I think, uh, in a more fuller way, tells us that we're dealing with an individual. Uh, and in our case, he acts to save as over against a nation that cannot save itself. Um, so God has, uh, has his servant. Uh, the other reason that it's uh, the servant of the Lord is an individual, uh, beyond the fact that the nation cannot save itself, is uh, the challenge in Isaiah chapter 15, verse 2. God comes speaking to the nation, why was there no man when I came, when I called? Why was there no one to answer? Well, there's no one, of course, because none are worthy, but now God has his servant who is worthy. So God asks a question to all mankind, and there is no answer, so he provides his own in the servant son. Uh, he, me he meets resistance, uh, and the response to that resistance is here in our text this morning. Heaven is going to respond to those who persecute uh, the servant of the Lord. Uh, verses 4 to 7, Messiah is persecuted, uh, but God helps him and vindicates him, verses 8 to 9. It's a good reminder from our text that persecution is going to come not only on the Son of God, but the people of God, uh, and God has an answer. He's going to uh, vindicate them so that persecution and vindication go together. When you have one, uh, you need to have the full assurance that uh, vindication will follow in the time of God. Uh, in this particular servant uh, song, Messiah speaks throughout. Uh, he begins... Uh, with uh, his majestic submission to persecution and the divine provision throughout. It's a continual reminder for the church. We suffer persecution, uh, but God's presence is with us uh, throughout. And the first provision in our text this morning, verse 4, the Lord God. Uh, the servant invokes the great covenant name of God and acknowledges his lordship over everything. Uh, this uh, uh, call here to the Lord God is found four times in this particular psalm. A reminder of uh, the supremacy of the sovereignty of God uh, present with his servant, and of course for us as the church, his presence 
with his servants. Uh, the second provision is that the Father gives to him the knowledge of disciples, which speaks to the teaching ministry of the Messiah, in our case, the teaching ministry of the Lord. Now, there's a hint of this in the Isaiah chapter 49, the second servant song, Isaiah chapter 49 and the second verse. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has concealed me. He has also made me like a select arrow. He has hidden me within his quiver. Uh, that Messiah will speak the word of the Lord. Uh, the purpose, of course, is to sustain the weary one. Isn't it interesting that his teaching ministry has to do with sustaining those who are weary? Again, the first servant song, Isaiah chapter 42, in the third verse. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. It's a reference, of course, to the lives of believers. As we go through life, we are oftentimes persecuted, and we will be persecuted. Seemingly, the light of our life will be put out, but God, in the presence of his Son, the presence of his Spirit, comes to minister to us so that we will, are not put out, but rather we shine even brighter uh, in light of the constancy of the provision of our great God. It is a good reminder here, uh, application of the importance of the teaching ministry of the Scripture. It is the way to spiritual health. If you depart from that, uh, you will find yourself, of course, waxing and waning when you suffer persecution. That God comes, uh, begins with the servant's son, he teaches his people the word of the Lord. The third provision here is the intimacy between the father and the son. That God will awaken him every morning. And he will awaken him uh, uh, to speak to him and awaken his ear to listen. Uh, the following line, of course, is a parallel. Isaiah chapter 15, verse 5, the Lord has opened my ear. The content of what the Father is teaching the Son is obedience to suffering, faithfulness in persecution, staying the course, going the distance. It's a reference to the humanity of Jesus embracing the suffering to save the weary. A couple of New Testament reminders of this in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke first chapter, the 80th verse. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit. And he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. In those times, God preparing him in his teaching for his public ministry and the prosecution of the call of God. It's the same in chapter 2 and verse 40. And the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. That the father, intimate relationships with his great son, preparing him for his ministry that we now know engages persecution and suffering. And his response to what the father is calling him to do, again, uh, latter part of verse 5, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn my back. 
Messiah does not draw or shrink back from the weight of the burden. He is not disloyal to the call of God. Obedience in suffering is a difficult charge. The servant son answers that call to be obedient while being persecuted. Oftentimes in our own lives, difficult times, persecution, suffering sifts us and we turn away. It's not the way of true servants. It was not the way of the servant son of the Lord God. The key is Messiah willingly and voluntarily submits himself to the intensifying passion of his earthly ministry, uh, the nature of which is now explained. Uh, Verse 6, I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. It's interesting that the main verbs here, I gave. I gave my back. Uh, I did not hide my face or cover my face. Highlight that our Lord was not passive in his punishment and humiliation. He is active. He gives himself. He does not turn away from the call of God. He actively engages. Our Savior is not passive. His active obedience is just as much a part of our salvation as his passive obedience upon the cross. And here he is willingly giving himself to persecution and suffering. It has a way of reminding us of the majesty and dignity of the Son of God. Of course, it's manifestly important that we understand that New Testament authors apply this servant song to Christ. Let's look at a couple of verses. 26th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. In the 67th verse. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists, and others slapped him. Uh, Gospel of John, uh, chapter 19, and verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Reminder of our Lord willingly submitting himself to the civil and religious courts in obedience to the call of God to suffer persecution. We will be reminded in the final servant song that he's suffering that on behalf of his people. That's a higher calling than just obedience to suffering. It's obedience to suffering to win his people in salvation. Uh, But again, that is the message of the final servant song beginning in the latter part of Isaiah chapter 52. The final provision of Uh, The Father to the Son, verse 7, is the help of God. The Lord God helps me. Good application in terms of our own lives. We sometimes encounter the challenges of life. Uh, Oftentimes the church suffers uh, persecution uh, because of the call of God. The provision of God is that which will sustain us uh, in the journey of being faithful to God in the midst of the call of God, with a constant reminder that what follows persecution? Vindication. The two go together. It's the part of the text this morning. Uh, The result of the help of God is twofold. Uh, The first, verse 7, therefore I am not disgraced. The second, therefore 
I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Oftentimes we uh, suffer in the calling of God, and we think that I'm going to be ashamed, I'm going to fail, I'm going to be disgraced. Here the provision of God reverses all of that uh, for his servant son. And so he announces that in his submission and obedience to suffering, he will not be ashamed. He will be vindicated, the provision of God. It's a reminder of his unflinching loyalty and his commitment to go the distance with a fixed resolve and steeled determination of that which God has called him to do. Again, by application, it's the call to us. Servant son is the captain of our salvation. He leads the way. How are we to respond to the call of God when it engages a persecution and suffering? A steeled determination to go the distance in light of the provisions of God. Great New Testament reminder here from the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 9, in the 51st verse. And it came about when the days were approaching for his ascension that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. Other translations, he set his face like a flint, fixed, immovable, he would not turn aside to the right or to the left. He knew what his calling was, and that was the cross. He would not back down. He would not back away. He would not turn to the right or to the left. The majesty of the provision of God for us in the church is that the greatest and most intense persecution ever imaginable fell upon the sun, and he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. And so this is uh, that which the Father has uh, taught the Son, obedience to suffering, obedience in difficult times. Uh, when everything calls and whispers in our ear to turn away, it's not worth it. Uh, we learn from the servant Son, it is worth it uh, to go the distance. And the reason in our text this morning is that the court of heaven will answer those who persecute the Son. And the answer is vindication and the assurance of victory, verses 8 to 9. So the initial verses of this song speak to the persecution of the servant son. The court of heaven will answer all who prosecute the son with the assurance of victory and vindication. Obviously a parallel uh, to our own lives. So we begin in the second half of the song that the father vindicates his son. Uh, the language of the text uh, presupposes a court scene uh, because much of the language here is legal, uh, so it beckons, to come into, beckons us to come into a courtroom, uh, a heavenly court. Uh, and so the court of heaven is going to respond to the human courts, religious and civil, uh, in light of their mistreatment of uh, Messiah. I, mean, I think we can expand that, and we should expand that. Sometimes in our Christian witness, uh, people sneer at us, uh, crack jokes about us, tell stories uh, in light of our commitment and faithfulness to Christ. It's not just a courtroom where we suffer. Uh, we suffer sometimes the persecution of uh, people uh, who laugh at us, who mock us. But nonetheless, the court of heaven... That's the last answer on every matter 
when the sons of God are being mistreated. Uh, so Messiah says, uh, he who vindicates me uh, literally justifies me. Verse 8 is near, acknowledging the provision of God, uh, that the servant son is not alone, that God will justify him, God will vindicate him, uh, take his side, if you will, uh, that he knows the outcome and that it's never in doubt. He knows victory will come, and so again, the court of heaven uh, takes the side of the servant of the Lord. So, it's our reminder uh, in terms of the text that the courts of men will be overturned and nullified. Think of our own judicial system. Uh, all types of different courts, but at, at every level, until the final level, there uh, are other courts that can overturn the lower courts. The highest court in the land of the Supreme Court uh, that can overturn lower courts. But the point of this text is that it's not the highest court in the land. The highest court in the land is the court of heaven, who has the last final word for the people of God who suffer persecution. And the court of heaven will always side uh, with the sons of God. Uh, Messiah, therefore, issues a challenge in three rhetorical questions to the civil and religious courts that he will face in suffering. First, who contends with me, Messiah says. Uh, the word contend from the New American Standard is really more properly of that of a lawsuit. So Messiah is saying, uh, who's going to Who's going to bring a suit against me? Who's going to sue me in a court? Uh, the rhetorical question is, you're wasting your time. Uh, the lower courts will be overturned. The tongues of men will be stopped, and I will win. The figure uh, speaks to the absolute futility of suing Messiah because every article of the world's legal code uh, are futile in suing uh, the Son of God for that matter, the sons of God, that ultimately the court of heaven will speak and uh, we have the assurance of victory and vindication. Again, uh, the court of heaven will vacate every court of man, everyone who persecutes the people of God, everyone who brings sufferings upon the sons of God in their faithful witness uh, to the Lord Christ. Uh, begins with the servant son that extends to all of the sons of God. Second, who has a case against me? Literally a judgment. Who can bring judgment against me? Uh, the uh, Messiah, the servant son, is, is issuing this challenge because he knows there is no judgment that can be brought against him because he knows ultimately the court of heaven sides in his favor and the court of heaven stands beside him will vacate every lower court, uh, overturn their rulings, decide with the sons of God. You know, occasionally you hear uh, someone say in our culture, uh, maybe because they've done something wrong or uh, maybe because uh, there's a dispute over what they've done, so they say something to the effect, well, sue me. It's really what uh, Jesus is saying. Sue me. It's worthless. It's futile. He says, come stand with me together in the courtroom. 
and we'll see uh, what the supreme eternal judge says in regard to your case and my case. Well, the court of heaven takes the case of the Son of God. Now, Jesus again says, well, come near. Now, bring your lawyers, bring your attorneys, bring their staffs, bring every legal witness you can. They will all be overturned. I will win because I am the Son of God appointed by the Father to win. By the way, the application to that is profound. As the sons of God, we witness to the majesty of his kingdom. Every case brought against us will be overturned. In the end, we win. And the world loses. The high court of heaven has declared declared the innocence of the Son of God, and every prosecutor will be turned away, vanquished, ashamed. They seek to shame the Son of God. They are the ones that will suffer shame. Even worse, they will face ruin for attempting to ruin Messiah. Now look at the latter part of, of uh, verse 9. Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. It's a very interesting uh, statement of judgment. Uh, it speaks to, I think, in many respects, an ongoing sense of judgment. It's a profound illustration of the life of the wicked that they will slowly wear away and come to nothing. Something of a metaphor here that I'm personally familiar with. Sloppiness. Sometimes in my table manners, I get food up on a wool jacket. You try to clean some of it off, but it's too cheap to go to the dry cleaner. So you, spring is coming, you put your wool jacket in the closet. And guess who comes to dinner? The moth. And guess what the moth eats? Your fine wool jacket. And you get it out in the following fall period and your jacket is ruined because it has holes in it. That's the end state of those who bring charges against the people of God. The moth will eat them, continue to eat them until they are discarded. Worse than being discarded, they will be punished uh, for bringing charge against uh, the elect of God. The moth will eat them. It's the promise of God that he will side forever with his people. And while they sing, appear to bring ruin upon the church, they are the ones that are ruined in the slow, steadfast, continual erosion of everything that they stand for, discarded by the courts of heaven and thrown upon the ash heap of all time by the Lord God of the court, God the Father. The wicked will slowly wear away and come to nothing. I know if you're like me and maybe you're suffering persecution, you, you know, would God would strike like a lightning bolt. Well, I'm not saying he can't do it. Of course, he can do whatever he wishes to do. But more often than not, when people persecute you because of your witness to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the moth has already come to their house, already doing the work of judgment, bringing their case to no end whatsoever. Remember the metaphor, the wool garment that the world esteems with great beauty and aplomb and desire. 
comes to absolutely nothing because it resists the high court of heaven. The figure speaks to rejection and judgment. The son succeeds. His antagonist fails. Something that we need to remember as the church, uh, that God has accorded the servant son, the Messiah, uh, for us in the church, Jesus Christ, ultimate victory. And he wins. He's already won. There is an illustration of the ultimate fulfillment of our Lord's victory in his resurrection and session to the throne expressed by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Again, I'm citing the text as an illustration of the vindication and the victory of Messiah, the Lord Christ, uh, in response to his suffering and persecution. 1 Timothy 3 in the 16th verse. And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. The victory of the Son, the resurrection, his session to the throne. I love the final line, taken up into glory. That is the end state of all of the sons of God. The earth and all who persecute the people of God will face the moth. We're taken up into glory. It's the final victory and the assurance, a reminder that the captain of our salvation was taken up into glory and then we too, in like manner, will be taken up into glory. Well, the unspoken acknowledgement of this servant song is uh, we follow in a similar path. Jesus beckons us to suffer in his service. It's what he did as the captain of our salvation. We're called to a similar uh, path. Let's remind ourselves of uh, important verses to these ends. John chapter 15. Uh, the 18th verse. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Uh, the world uh, rejects Christ. It hated Christ. Uh, it hates Christ today. And because it hates Christ, all who stand in loyalty to him and who witness to his name will become the object of hatred. Uh, objects of derision, objects of jokes, maybe taken to court, I don't know. If we lived in, say, a country like Saudi Arabia, that would decisively be the case. If we lived in other countries in the Middle East, it would uh, uh, be very likely that as a Christian uh, witness, we would suffer uh, persecution in their civil courts, in religious courts. The path of Christ is our path. They hated him, they will hate us. Uh, look at the 20th verse. Uh, the Lord reminds us, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they also will persecute you. Uh, again, persecution is, uh, uh, breaks out upon the servant's son throughout all of his life. Uh, certainly his uh, march uh, to Jerusalem and the cross 
uh, but it's a path that beckons all of us in our witness to Christ. I would admit to you that uh, you may say to yourself, well, this isn't Saudi Arabia, this is not North Korea, uh, but, but you know, who knows what it may someday come to be like in America? Who knows? I will tell you this, if you, were, if you would uh, describe to me the cultural erosion in America uh, that what we are experiencing today, 25 years ago, I would have said, hey, no way that will ever happen in America. That, well, persecution will never come to the church in America. My friend, don't be so sure. Who knows what may occur? I mean, already we, we can see snippets of it in this uh, so-called movement of political correctness that we as the church ought to embrace every form of uh, alternative living. Uh, again, remember the servant's son. He was persecuted. The Orthodox Church someday in America may be persecuted. I'm not so sure that the persecution hasn't already broken out in terms of false teaching. Uh, orthodoxy sneered at, laughed at. Uh, we're called words like anachronistic, a very soft way of saying uh, that we are way behind the times in the Orthodox Church. Expect it. It's going to come and knock on your door. How are you to respond? Set your face like a flint towards the cross and be faithful to Christ. Uh, I mean, Jesus teaches us that this is the way. If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. The cross, the ultimate symbol of sin and shame, uh, the intensity, the suffering that broke upon the Son of God upon the cross. You and I are called to the same service, to pick up our cross and to follow Christ, be faithful to him. That we will, of course, in our Christian experience, in some degree, be persecuted for the faith. And like Jesus, we are to be steadfast and immovable. It's exactly the words of the Apostle Paul, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. How are you to respond to the difficulty of this life and the sufferings that the world brings? Therefore, my beloved, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 verse, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the word of the Lord. In other words, you are unmoved. You continue the call of God. You continue faithful. You do not turn back. You are unflinching in your service to Christ. We can, we can do this because God takes our side. That's precisely the point of the third servant song, that the Messiah is going to be persecuted, but God is on his side. God will never vacate him. God will never leave him. God is with him. And what occurs to him occurs to us. God will never leave us. He will never vacate our side. And the ultimate answer to all of our sufferings is the court of heaven will speak and we will be declared victorious. We could say this with a measure of a doctrinal certainty because it's exactly the language of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 because he's going to allude to the third servant song and the, and the call of the servant. Who can bring a charge against me? Who can sue me that my court won't declare me victorious? Again, Paul is going to apply 
the victory of the servant son to the many sons and affirmation and guarantee of our own absolute and final victory. Worthy, to, I think, to be reminded is that in all of the vagaries of life, in all of the sufferings and persecution that may knock on our door, we have won in Christ. We're just awaiting the public declaration of the victory before our enemies. And so the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, listen for the parallel language to Isaiah chapter 50. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Rhetorical question, no one. They cannot stand before God. God is on our side. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Every victory, every blessing of the entirety of the book of the Romans, justification, sanctification, and eternal glory, he will freely give us all of these things. I know we suffer. I know we go through difficult times. I know the church is going to be persecuted. Wait your turn. God has won the victory. In the end, you'll get it all. Nothing held back. Again, listen to the rhetorical questions as they continue. Verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who's the right hand of God who also intercedes for us. Well, you can see the parallel language to Isaiah chapter 50. It's judicial. Again, verse 33, who brings a charge? The answer, God justifies. Well, people bring charges against us all the time. More often than not, in America, it's uh, someone spinning some rumor. Did you hear? A place like North Korea, they perhaps would throw you in jail and send you to a labor camp where you would uh, be forgotten ultimately die of exhaustion and hunger. What a terrible way to go. But again, when you're suffering in the call of Jesus Christ, you know the outcome. In the end, you win. All the rest get the mock. Verse 34, who condemns? Again, legal language. Now, Jesus is the one who intercedes. The language here is that of, uh, of the last, final, greatest defense attorney of all time the Lord Christ. He's the only one qualified to bring legal arguments in the court of heaven. And the Father always accepts his arguments because of the intimacy between Father and the Son. And so tell me, who condemns the church? Who can bring a charge against the people of God who stand in the witness of uh, the message of the gospel in Jesus Christ? They will all come to the end of the moth, and the church, the faithful, the true witnesses uh, will come to eternal glory. So that Paul is alluding to the vindication of Messiah and Isaiah as having fulfillment in the vindication and victory of the sons of God. That we get what he got in resurrection and glory. But applied to him applies to us. His innocence, by the way, which is absolute and total and perfect, becomes our innocent, which is less than absolute and less than perfect, but uh, we become what he is. 
because of the court of heaven, declared not guilty because God the Father justifies us, that his vindication is the guarantee of ours, that his solidarity with us makes us inseparable in an inviolable union that guarantees the outcome. That's why, as you know from the rest of this particular chapter, we uh, go into the greatest of the language of that what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Because God has taken our side and will never leave us. It's a reminder, again, to go the distance, to go the end, to be true witnesses because uh, the victory is ours in Jesus Christ. While the world may persecute us, the high court of heaven sides with us and will overturn its legal decisions. Our opponents, ladies and gentlemen, will fail because of Christ and because the high court of heaven comes to our side and will vacate every judgment against us and we will ultimately win. Something of the language of this in Psalm 118 in the sixth verse. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Somewhat uh, the language of Romans chapter 8 in the 18th verse. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And I remind you of the 1 Timothy 3 passage, the Lord was taken up into glory. Uh, we too will suffer uh, the same fate. We will be taken up into glory. And so the servant's son is going to be persecuted. The high court of heaven vindicates him and gives him the victory. As the church, we will suffer persecution. The high court of heaven takes our side vindicates us and gives us the assurance of the final victory. Uh, we can serve with fear because uh, the Supreme Court of all of geography and all of time has taken our side, will never leave us. I'm reminded uh, oftentimes uh, in the business world, even in our family life, we have to secure liability insurance. If you drive an automobile in the state of Oklahoma, uh, you have liability insurance, or you should have. But as a businessman, uh, you may purchase from an agent liability insurance uh, because someone may uh, misuse your product or apply it improperly and you find yourself in court. So you, you are buying protection from the potential damages of a lawsuit. If you're sometimes of a director on a, a large corporation, your corporation will purchase for you director's insurance. So that if you make an improper decision and you find yourself in a lawsuit, you have insurance to protect you from utter ruin. Well, as witnesses for Christ, we have the greatest legal team imaginable. 
And in terms of our witness for Christ, we don't need to purchase liability insurance because the court has already decided in our favor that we can willingly prosecute the call of God without fear that we will be ashamed because we know the answer of the high court of God who takes our side is with us yet. Never a time that he's not at our side. Never a time in which the greatest defense attorney of all time, the Lord Christ, is not bringing our issues before the court of heaven. And the court of heaven always takes his side. Our reminder, the ultimately vindication and victory uh, is that which will come to us uh, because of the great servant son. And so persecution and vindication go together in the ministry of Jesus and in our ministry. It's a reminder that the outcome is not a doubt. Who can stand against us? Who can bring a witness that the court will not overturn? Because we are the sons of God. And we know the treatment that God gave his eternal son, and in like manner he will give to us victory and vindication. And of course, the ultimate reminder in terms of the gospel that the victory of Jesus is the entire and only basis of our victory. We win because he won it for us. It's the essence of the gospel. If you're not a Christian, uh, it's not just that the courts of men, civil or religious, will get you. The eternal court of heaven will get you. And therefore, it's an eternal beckoning Reminder to flee to Christ, the only hope of victory, the only place of safety, the only place where you are ultimately protected, the only place where the high court of heaven sides with you, uh, the victory won by Jesus, won by Christ. Again, may the grace, the mercy of God, and the spirit of God uh, cause you to pursue him, that you might flee to him, and the ultimate end of all of the saints of God victory, and vindication. And may God bless us with this reminder of the outcome of our lives that we might continue faithfully in his service for his glory in light of the glory that awaits us.